number one character in Kingdom Hearts 2 who can absolutely 100% get fucked is probably someone you know. He's named Mickey Mouse and he's a fucking bastard. the friendship quest a podcast where two long distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it i'm aaron and i'm Layla, but like with an x thrown in for flavor and this week we take up our keyblades yet again as we talk about kingdom hearts 2 before we celebrate father's day with the worst dads in anime remember you can help us on mortified the legitimacy quest by subscribing to us on youtube itunes or spotify signing up for a monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes or following us on twitter and tumblr at Mortified Pod. Layla, um, it's been a while since we dipped back into the Kingdom Hearts well, but uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say this is this is the one that we're most excited to talk about. I mean, so far, certainly. Uh, I am probably a little bit more jazzed about our next endeavor, uh, just in terms of anticipation, but uh, I do love Kingdom Hearts too. It's very, very good. Uh, yes. I mean, Kingdom Hearts 2 is my favorite Kingdom Hearts game. Uh, I would argue it's the best Kingdom Hearts game. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll debate that once we <laughs> dip into Birth by Sleep. But, um, like, I, when I first played Kingdom Hearts 2, it was probably, like, the year it came out, uh, 2006. I was in the sixth grade, and I played it, but because of I bought the disc used, it, like, I couldn't save it to my PS2, so I just could not turn my ps2 off when i played it um but that's how i beat it and i've loved it ever since um and 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 uh, i'm just wondering how you felt about <laughs> about revisiting this uh classic game you didn't have like a light switch problem like i did where if there if your parent walks in and trips the light switch your whole setup goes kaput no thankfully i just stayed in the basement where my parents didn't have to look at me Mm, yeah, my mom would come in and I would be sitting in the dark and she would try to toggle the light switch, but that light switch was not connected to a light. It was connected to my TV and PlayStation, so I lost many an hour of gameplay oh. to those kinds of mishaps. Brutal. Um, yeah, it happens. I love this game. I think it's ridiculous and I think it's hilarious and I missed my boys. Um, and it, I think you would agree just based on the conversations that we had while we were watching the last four hours together it is um, at least the gayest one. It is the gayest one until we get to Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, the, the Keyblade unification is... Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. But, um, yeah, this, this one, if you got into Kingdom Hearts because you liked Disney in 2002, I want to say, is when that game came out, um, then you got into Kingdom Hearts 2... And you realized you are not straight, and that's okay. Um, in fact, yeah. I suspect if you are not straight, you are the majority of our audience. So uh, yeah, thank you I for listening. Can't imagine there's a ton of straights out there listening to us. Um, I will say, so 
and we'll get into this a little bit more um, in our <laughs> fun new recurring segment. But uh, so Kingdom Hearts 1, I believe, was a 2004 game. And I didn't really play it until 2005. Um, and it's just that fun era of gaming where I don't know about you, but I never knew when games were coming out. I just kind of had to remember that there was a game I liked that maybe was having a sequel and then like either maybe Google it or happen across it in a store. So Kingdom Hearts 2 was very much like, I had no idea it was coming out. I had no idea there was going to be a Kingdom Hearts 2, which is why I was like barely aware of Chain of Memory other than the fact that it was like hot shit on our school bus. Um, And let me tell you, I had no fucking clue it was coming out. And then it was just there one day. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, you know, we waited 19 years for 16 years. For <laughs> <laughs> Forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that gap between Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3, really, there was a lot of me that, that changed between those two games. But uh, I, I, I loved them both um, very deeply. Uh, Layla, do you want to try to give us a summary of Kingdom Hearts 2? Uh, well, okay, so like much like Kingdom Hearts 1, um, Sora, Goofy, and Donald are on a quest to defeat a bunch of Heartless, but this time around, we actually start the story, um, with a, just the saddest lad, uh, named Roxas and his adventures in Twilight Town with his, uh, three friends, and what we find out about Roxas is that when Sora got turned into a Heartless in Kingdom Hearts 1, he is sort of the quote-unquote like leftover hollow shell of Sora's corrupted heart. So he's a nobody. And um, the game, instead of Ansem being the villain, now Organization 13, who you might remember from our Chain of Memories adventure, now they are the lead villains and they are trying to, uh, they have like a plot you don't really know what the plot is for a while, but they're just causing general havoc and releasing nobodies everywhere. Um, and, you know, once again, you got to find Kyrie. It's just, there's a there's a lot of, like, now that I'm trying to explain it, there's a lot of plots and I can feel myself spiraling a little bit and feeling like I need some red string. <laughs> Listen, Kingdom Hearts, as we all know, is notorious for having very convoluted lore. And, I mean... It's lore really starts to get sticky. I mean, Chain of Memories does not do anything to help it because it already starts getting into retconning and uh, turning back the clock and, you know, messing with people's memories. But Kingdom Hearts 2 is when they start doing the shit. It's when they're like, oh, no, Ansem Seeker of Darkness. That was actually the heartless of Xehanort, a person you never knew before. And also, because most of you didn't play the Game Boy Advance game, we're just going to wipe Sora's memories and then rehash the plot to him. And also not mention the Game Boy Advance game that much, except when we reference Axel and Roxas's friendship, which also does not show up in the Game Boy Advance game. But we're going to do a different game on DS later that explains that. So, um... Yeah, it's... Uh, this is when we really start getting into the weeds. Um, because my... Th- theory of the case here is that Kingdom Hearts 1 was like a gentle little test drive. It was like, a, is this commercially viable, tying this to Disney, etc, etc, etc. Because, you know, Squeenix, very famous publishing house, Final Fantasy, very famous games. Uh, and then, I think somewhere after the commercial success of Kingdom Hearts, the original, somebody let Nomura off the fucking leash. And uh, Chain of Memories was, because it was an advanced game, 
I mean, there was a lot of No More Unleashed. There's a lot of voicemails, but, like, it's not as, like, a cornucopia of insanity like Kingdom Hearts 2 is. And that's the thing about all the retconning and final mix and, like, the all the additions and whatever. It's, like, truly No More feels like he has to make up ground for all the wild Final Fantasy shit he didn't get to do in Kingdom Hearts 1. So now Kingdom Hearts 2 just has to play catch-up, and it is so much catch-up. It, it's a lot, and I think, honestly, it's done pretty well, despite everything that we're going to say about it um, in this podcast. I, it is it is incredible. Well, the thing you always have to remember with Kingdom Hearts, and like honestly most anime also sometimes, um, is that as a whole, there's usually a lot to kind of shit on for goofs. But if you remove the fat and you just look at the two hours of plot you actually get, it's pretty good shit. It's 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 pretty good. Listen, as people who did watch a 13-hour video, um, there was a lot of uh, chaff to sift through before we got to that tasty, tasty wheat. But I assure you, that wheat made a very nice uh, anime croissant, which we heartily scarfed down. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, the Baker Baker fandom is gonna come at us for that one. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, let's talk about characters. Um, of course, we have Snora, Donald, and Goofy. Who? Can characters... I make a suggestion for the order that we go in for this? Sure. So, Aaron has a beautiful table ah. in in this note that I'm obsessed with. How do you feel about going starting from the fuck off column and working our way to the best boys? You know, that's not a bad idea. Uh, so if you remember on our Valentine's Day episode, I had a similar table uh, organizing the Kingdom Hearts characters. And I have a, I brought this table back. Uh, it does not include everyone, uh, characters that I didn't think fell into the categories of either best boys, deserves better, or fuck off. Um, such as Xemnas. I think Xemnas is far, largely fine. Um, or like, you know... The Hainer Pencilette, they're not on here because they, you know, they're they're mostly just set dressing for Roxas, but um fuck off if we're gonna start with that. Number one character in Kingdom Hearts 2 who can absolutely one hundred percent get fucked is probably someone you know. He's named Mickey Mouse and he's a fucking <laughs> bastard. Mickey Mouse is objectively the worst fucking characters in this entire game he refuses to take responsibility for endangering these children he literally yeets himself into the darkness to avoid telling Sora where Riku is he sucks so bad and he his character doesn't get better uh when we will talk about birth by sleep uh in a couple months but um yeah like so his whole thing is that Mickey enlists Sora's best friend Riku to you know help jog Sora's memories because after the events of Chain of Memories, he is in Castle Oblivion getting his mem memories reconstructed. Um, so, you know, Mickey, with the help of uh, another terrible person, um, is trying to, you know, send Riku on errands. And over the course of these errands, Riku has to unleash the darkness within his heart. Um, and he his face turns into the face of Ansem Seeger of Darkness, the big bad guy from the first game. Uh... And according to Mickey, Riku made him promise, Mickey Mouse promised, not to tell Sora. I think that's horseshit, but um, Mickey constantly avoids the fact that he knows that Riku is okay, that Riku is actively helping Sora, and 
instead decides to just like run off constantly, throw himself through darkness portals, try to make Donald and Goofy drag Sora away from battlefields. He's just the worst. And yeah, Mickey Mouse objectively, every time he appeared on screen, uh, there was, uh, uh, I'll say a, a boo. Uh, in a spiritual boo, uh, a vocal boo. Uh, we are not fans of Mickey Mouse on this program. He fucking sucks. Is Birth by Sleep where he loses his shirt? <laughs> yeah, uh, technically, I think it might be in one of the extended editions, the like 2.7 or 2.8 remix, but that is the one where he gets his show- shirt blasted off. Mm, I'm so thrilled. I had to explain that to somebody the other day. That was a highlight of my evening. Um, so next on our fuck off list is Diz and Ansem the Wise. So uh, listeners, this is an audio medium. When we refer to Ansem from now on, we are talking about a guy who looks nothing like the guy you think we're talking about. He's just this bland, old blonde man with a goatee. And for the majority of the game, he wraps his face. He calls himself Diz for some fucking reason. But that is Ansem the Wise. That's who we're... And then the silver-haired guy who was hot, both versions of, uh, that's Xehanort. And then well, he... Well, <laughs> sort of. Uh, they're, they're the, not in this game. Not in this game, he's not Xehanort. <laughs> but generally speaking, he's Xehanort. And then his heartless goes by Ansem, and then his nobody is the villain of this game, and he goes by Xemnas. So just keep in mind, wherever there's a Heartless, there's also a nobody. Yeah, it's great. Um, I love this franchise so fucking much. <laughs> yeah, it's a good franchise. Anyway, Diz makes Riku into a child soldier, um, and he sends him to go do tasks to help jog Sora's memory for whatever reason. And the thing you need to know about Diz is that because he is a person with a heart, he is also a what a somebody supremacist, which means that he thinks that nobodies, the people who are made after a person with a strong heart turns into a heartless, um, he thinks they're not people. He calls Namine, uh, the you know antagonist protagonist of the last game, Chain of Memories, a witch. Because she has power over Sora's memories. She is 15 years old uh, and didn't ask to be born. Uh, but he does try to get Riku to murder her. Uh, he does frequently talk about the fact that nobodies don't have hearts. They shouldn't exist. Uh, and generally torments Roxas throughout the entirety of the first act of the game. Um, so much so that he wipes his memories and puts him into a fake town uh, that... You know, everybody just occasionally gaslights him in. It sucks, and it's really sad. Uh, yeah, he has a line that I fucking just blew me out of the water, which was uh, Riku as Ansem was talking to him and talking about Roxas, and he said, well, doesn't he deserve to know? As in, what happens to him once Sora wakes up? Because in theory, if Sora is awake, then he needs both parts of him to be present. He needs to be whole to be awake. That's like the whole thing. And Roxas wants to know what's going to happen to him, obviously, because he is a life now. And uh, Riku as Ansem says, doesn't he deserve to know? And Diz says, uh, not only does he not deserve to know, he's a nobody. He doesn't deserve to exist. Sir? That's a teen. Uh, it's it's a literal child, and Diz is like, yeah, I'd actually rather they all be wiped out. It's fucking 
wild ideology for this guy who we're supposed to like for some reason. Oh, yeah, I have no idea why the narrative... But the narrative wants me to believe a bunch of weird shit uh, plot-related, and it also wants me to believe that this is a good guy and that uh, uh, <laughs> Sora is straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really I wants me to believe that's... those things. Um, another person who can fuck off is Saix, who is, like, not technically the second-in-command at fucking uh, The World That Never Was, but he functions largely as, like, a very important person in organization 13 um he has long blue hair and elf ears he definitely is like a 13 year old nomura oc what <laughs> is with the elf ears he's got like t- like a big x scar across his face um and he it the narrative doesn't discover this till later but he is kind of um axel's like ex-boyfriend um <laughs> which is very funny um, but yeah, he, he does a lot of rude shit. He imprisons Kyrie. He, you know, makes Sora get on his knees and beg, uh, to him. Uh, very rude. Um, Sykes is very rude and I'm glad that he gets his ass kicked in this game. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, the next one is Zaldin, who all I have to say is just a white guy with dreads that pretty automatically. Yeah, no. He's also just forgettable. Yeah, he doesn't really do... He says a lot of mean things to Beast in the Beauty and the Beast world, but that's about it. He has a cool, like... He has, like, six floating spears, and I like that. The rest of him is not super exciting. Um, And then, like, all the other people who can fuck off are, like, basically every Disney protagonist. Um, You know, it's a Kingdom Hearts game, and despite that, most of the Disney people don't matter. Um, Hercules almost gets chopped in half by Orin from Final Fantasy X, which I was very psyched about. Um, I wish that that had happened. What a fucking... Yeah, uh, there is one weirdly relevant uh, Disney character, but we'll talk about that uh, later. The next column is uh, 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 characters who deserve better. Um, Let's start with Pete Maleficent. Why do you think Pete and Maleficent deserve better? I think they... I think they're actually very interesting characters, um, and that the, the narrative of Kingdom Hearts 2 does not give them enough screen time. Like... Pete and Malef- okay, you know Maleficent from Kingdom Hearts 1 because she, you know, is sort of seen as, like, the mastermind behind everything. She's pulling all the Disney villains together to collect the princesses of heart. In this game, she's just sort of like, I want to be generically evil after I got resurrected. Although she does travel back in time and, like, fuck up the Disney castle, um, which I am very proud of. That's, that's a very cool move. Um, and then Pete it's a very small line but at the very beginning of the game they say that that mickey banished pete to another dimension um which is pretty fucked up like (laughs) for for listen you know we can have a conversation about prison abolition but i also think that if we are to have a society with prisons we shouldn't put them outside of our reality space that's that's a little harsh um (laughs) and then like I just, I feel like there is something interesting there because, like, Pete, Maleficent twice sacrifices herself in this game to help Sora, which, like, I don't know why. There's not really a reason why, but, but she's always just like, I'm only doing this because I don't like having another bad guy around. Once once I deal with these fuckers, I'm going to kill you. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's a woman who has her priorities straight. I also love her being framed as an evil real estate agent because it's basically her entire MO the entire game. Uh, like, she walks into, uh, I think, 
uh, you find out that she's the one that fucked up Hollow Bastion, but the entire time her and Pete are talking about it, she's just like, he's like, oh, it's a little out of the way, don't you think? And she's just like, watch what I can do. And the way that read to me was, I'm about to fuck up this house so fucking good, it won't even matter what the property taxes are. Like, that's what I'm fucking hearing, is that it's so far out of the metropolitan area that it's just worth it to invest in this uh, beautiful little lakeside, riverside, um, radiant garden. Uh, I love that for her. I think it's very funny, um, and I know it's unintentional, but it's there for me. Uh, next, beautiful, dumb shit idiot, Demix. Demix is one of the Organization 13 members that has, he's got water powers, he plays a sitar, he can make clones of himself, um... But his whole, like, shtick is that he's a coward and, like, kind of a dweeb, and I love him so much. Like, they, they send him to the underworld several times, and then, like, you know, his goal is to, like, sort of, like, make Roxas come back, so he has to, like, defeat Sora. And <laughs> you put in your notes, like, they have to write out, like, the very, like, Zemnis-ass, like, ostentatious and, um, you know, fuck, what's the word? Pretentious pretentious dialogue which is like if the subject fails to respond use aggression to liberate his true disposition and demix like opens the note up from his pocket because they had to send him with a grocery list of things to do and he, he read he reads and he's like liberate this true disposition oh, this sucks god they sent the wrong dude for this fucking thing um anyway i guess i'll fight you um and I just wish that Demix got more screen time because he's so much more interesting than half of the org members that we see in this game. Oh god, yeah. If every if every Demix part could be, uh, or if Demix could replace Zaldin on every part, I would have a great time. Um, I think that would be very funny and very cool, and also would probably make more sense considering Shion is the fourteenth member of Organization Thirteen. Just kick out Zaldin. We don't need him. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that can be uh, replaced. Uh, next up. Uh, Axel, who I love, and I did cry when he died, even though I wasn't playing the game. Uh, Axel, you know, as we mentioned, I think we ranked him as our number one Organization 13 member in Chain of Memories, which was 100% correct, because he owns both. I stand by that 100%. It's gonna be, I don't, I can't think of a better Org 13 member than Axel. I mean, they literally keep resurrecting him, and they address that in Kingdom Hearts 3, that, like, people love him so much they can't kill him. (laughs) Um, but, like, Axel's whole motivation in this game is that he and Roxas used to work together in Organization 13, but then when Roxas went to go find Sora, they wiped his memories, uh, Diz wiped his memories, so Axel is just, like, trying to find his best friend, and then when he finds him, Roxas doesn't recognize him, and he's just heartbroken over it, and, like, his whole arc is just, like, trying to turn Sora into a heartless again to, to make Roxas come back, and it... And then he, you know, he does end up sacrificing himself to save Sora because he realizes that, you know, Sora reminds him of Roxas. And we'll we'll get, we'll get into that more. But like, it's so, so sad. I love him very much. I don't have anything else to contribute. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, (laughs) And next lad on the list is uh, Riku, who is on thin ice. (laughs) Okay, so Riku, as we all know, uh, as we just established, gets his face turned into, you know, Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, uh, Zane or Tartless, uh, because he has to use the power within his heart to defeat Roxas or whatever. Um, He is on thin ice because he does work for Diz, and Diz, you know, sucks and is terrible, and, you know, he does do a lot of things like steal 5,000 money from Roxas. And, you know, replace all the pictures in Roxas's house with pictures that doesn't have him in it because he just wants to, because Diz wants to gaslight Roxas. 
Um, and then he, like, you know, he, like, checks on Sora a couple times throughout the game and, like, d- but doesn't want to, like, make Sora know that he's that he is who he is. Um, but, like, he did, he did get turned into, like, you know, a child soldier for Diz, which is sucky and I, I you know he does get reunited with his boyfriend at the end and i'm glad for that but um yeah poor poor riku but also he very nearly murdered nominee so yeah he did refuse to though so you know points for riku for not doing a crime uh next oh god always on the deserves better list our girl Kyrie. <sighs> Kyrie gets fucking damseled so bad in this game like they went through the whole trouble of giving her a character design glow up that you know they made her grow out her hair she looks much more much less like a fucking you know toddler with a huge head and more like you know a a normal person in this game and they they even give her a keyblade but do they let her use it no do they kidnap her multiple times and you know only use her to motivate sora yeah yeah, there's this moment where uh, Riku, Mickey, and Sora have to open, like, a door to Kingdom Hearts to go chase after Xemnas, and Kairi's right there. We just made a whole hullabaloo of her being able to use a Keyblade. Why wasn't it? It would have been so satisfying narratively to watch the three of them do that. Um, because, you know, they're, they start out with a trio, and then they're, like, hardly ever reunited again, and she just deserves so much better better she's so good and kind and sweet and i love her but because she's barely a character her friends read as incredibly gay but the whole plot is like we love Kyrie; she's the most important person in the world and i want her to be but she just keeps getting damseled oh and the person who gets damseled the most in this oh. game even more than i guess not not necessarily more than Kyrie, but certainly goes through worse shit than Kyrie. I think is, of more, course, more per capita than Kyrie. Yes, exactly. Uh, is of course Namine, um, who is also technically Kyrie. So, eh. but um, you know, Namine is Kyrie's nobody. Um, Namine is, of course, captured by Diz, forced to work on Sora without labor, without pay. You know. Um, is also threatened with termination and destruction uh, after Diz is done with her. Um, and also, notably, <laughs> the only objective that you start out with this game with when Sora wakes up, Jiminy Cricket has this whole journal that is like, supposed to chronicle all your adventures. And the only thing in it after after Sora wakes up are the words, thank Namine, and Sora never thanks her. She doesn't even get a thank you for being for fucking carrying the entire franchise on her back, her tiny little baby shoulder blades. Yeah, God, it's so fucking tragic. I love Namine. She's a little angel. Um, it, you know what's funny though is like, so she has a, I would argue about as much screen time as Kyrie, maybe a little bit more, way more of a personality for some reason. Like again, I love Kyrie so much. But she just, like, is such a plot device and it kills me more and more with every game because they always, like, play with the idea of her being really cool and then just, like, take it away from me. Like, King Hearts 3 is so guilty of that. And Namine just, like, gets to do cool shit and gets to carry the story and gets to, like, be the reason Roxas and Sora succeeds. And I love that for her, but she also just goes through so much. My sweet baby, she deserves better. I think we get to see more of her personality because of the ways that the game, the franchise treats her. Like, we get to see 
her reaction to people causing her to suffer, which like sucks. But you know, she is also you know she does get a little bit more screen time for that, and also she does like have magic powers, which I guess Kyrie doesn't, even though like everyone in this world has magic powers. She has a keyblade. I count that. <laughs> yeah, Kyrie. <laughs> she doesn't use. She basically doesn't though. That's true, Kyrie. Kyrie is basically a weather vane for whether or not people remember Sora. Exactly. That it's... is Kyrie's like key job in the franchise is to announce whether or not Sora is present in people's memories. It's it's so annoying and Such also to be, you know, something for him and Riku to chase after and it sucks but whatever. Well, Kyrie, we love you and you deserve better. Yeah, I yeah, we can't get stuck on Kyrie or we'll be here all day. Um, uh, it's best boys time. There are some pretty good boys in this. Of course, we get Sora Donald Goofy. Um, Sora doesn't really change very much. He's still this happy-go-lucky anime protagonist. Uh, he does have a couple instances of being like, nobodies don't have hearts, nobodies can't feel anything. But that's not necessarily because he's a fucking, you know, somebody supremacist. He's just stupid. <laughs> He's so stupid. And, like, we were talking, and, and the other best boy is Roxas, who we'll, we'll get into, but uh, in between uh, Sora and Roxas, the brain cell really stays with Roxas. Um, and even then, it's not a very big one. <laughs> Roxas. So there's a part where Naminé and Roxas are having this conversation uh, in in this cat in this uh, mansion and then um all of a sudden diz shows up to like kidnap her and be like nominee you can't talk to roxas because i'm mean uh and then like nominee's like wait roxas you won't disappear we'll meet again i promise and roxas is like i'll disappear what <laughs> thank you for reading my idiot. mind because that is my favorite fucking shit that roxas does it's also like roxas's intro is him sitting with hainer pensanola in like a garage or something and um they, like, can't find any of their photos or the word for photos, which, kids, y'all should have been way more freaked out about that. Uh, and, like, Pence looks really frustrated, and it takes Olette looking at Pence and then looking at Roxas for Roxas to be like, oh, well, I know people think we stole the, all the stuff, but what if we found out who really stole the stuff? And then we could clear our name. Maybe it took you that long to come up with the most obvious solution listen um the only thing that roxas doesn't share with sora as Diz points out is his like absolute fury um and you know what that's fair roxas has been through a lot more trauma uh so i get it um yeah poor poor sweet sweet baby boy roxas we love you very much as we alluded to roxas gets imprisoned in this virtual town made by Diz and like made to live through the last you know seven days of his summer vacation um in this virtual town he's constantly reminded like once the seven days are over like he won't see his friends again um and like as as the days progress like they start you know not seeing the things that he's seeing like the you know cloaked men going in and out or like people stealing his money um or like the the girl in the window who is nominee um and it all culminates in this moment that i you know is etched in my mind ever since i played this game in 2006 where he you know he confronts Diz in the basement of this uh, Twilight Town, and um, you know Diz is just like, you know, uh, you're nobody, you're nothing, you just have to merge with Sora, fuck off. 
Um, and then Sora's pod like opens up because Sora's been sleeping for for a year, and the last thing that needs to happen is Brox- is for Roxas to merge with him. And he looks up at Sora like floating peacefully and happy, uh, and he says, uh, "Sora, you're lucky. Looks like my summer vacation is over." And like then his fucking theme song swells, and we get this beautiful late Kingdom Hearts two title card, and that gets me literally every time. Like about. Every every August, right before I have to like go back to work, I will watch that scene and play Roxas's theme, and it gets me because it's just like, uh, I feel that I uh, it is so melancholy and 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 moving, and it is such a hell of a way to open a game. I mean, people give Kingdom Hearts two a lot of shit for having a very long opening, but I think it absolutely works. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I've played some games with some late title cards, and sometimes you—I've played one where I the title card came up, and I was like, "Oh shit, wait, we haven't had the title card yet." Uh, but this is like so effective and so good, and it's—it's it's also great because it, you, you, this is our first real introduction to Roxas, right? Like we don't know him, and so opening the game in a way where it's like, "Wait a minute, where's Sora?" You just play as Roxas, and no one addresses it. Until we start getting into sort of some of the flashbacks. It's just so good. And he's so... I, just watching the cutscenes, like, not even playing them, I would get so emotional. Because, like you said, like, Shimamura really went the fuck off on these soundtracks. They're so good. And hearing, like, Roxas' theme swell as he's so sad about having to leave his friends behind. Because he's a kid and he doesn't want to. And as far as he's aware, he has no idea what's going on, even though the Roxas before his memory got wiped kind of agreed to this. Um, Oh, man, it's upsetting. And it's even more upsetting, like, when you start peppering in all of the backstory with Axel and uh, how, like, they were so close and... Like, when Roxas finally agrees to go merge with Sora, Axel's still, like, look away because he's crying. It's... The nobody storyline is really fucking sad. It's so sad. And it even gets sadder in 358 over one half days, which I, you know, is still one of the better stories in Kingdom Hearts. I don't know if we'll ever get around to that, but um, we really should. I highly recommend anybody who cares about uh, the Kingdom If you're 30 minutes into a Kingdom Hearts podcast uh, done by, you know, two randos on the internet, you should look You should look up uh, the 358 uh, over one half days manga because that's really cute and good and also contains a lot of the sadness that really gets you um highly recommend um <sighs> that's our character <laughs> rundown which has taken half of the time of our podcast um you have to explain the fucking web yeah there's a lot of shit going on um you know as far as just like memories of the game when we first played it Besides just, like, all the really, really incredible storytelling that stays with me to this day, um, I was just blown away with how different this game is over Kingdom Hearts 1. Like, the camera system alone is such a huge fix. You don't have to use the fucking shoulder buttons on the PlayStation to move the camera. You can just use the the stick like a normal person. That kicks ass. Um, But then, like, there's so much extra shit, like the, you know, there's a bunch of new worlds, which were fine to me at the time. You know, there was a drive system where you get to wield multiple Keyblades, which is so cool. Um, and then I just, I was just so happy with, with how that game turned out. Yeah, the forms were so good. All the, like, incidental, they're almost QTEs, but not, like, really. They're more, they're more incidentals. Um, those fuck because they're individualized to, like, different, uh, uh, stages. You know, the Thousand Heartless Battles, like, one of the more famous conflicts in 
these games and it's literally you have to kill a thousand heartless which once you know the broader context of the game you realize you're helping more than you're hurting in terms of like helping the enemy but uh there's a you get these like very specific um reactions that when you press triangle you just swoop through these heartless and just mergle a bunch of them and then also in the fight against oh my god um zigbar right in the fight against Sigbar, you're not operating the camera from Sora being centralized. You're operating the fight from being in Zigbar's crosshairs, which is just like the sickest shit. It's just so good. It was such a huge improvement. And like, yeah, I make jokes about, you know, like Nomura Unleashed or whatever. But this is the good part of that, where it's just so... I don't know, like, I've never seen anything like that since, of just something so completely individualized to every different role. So these games take so long to, to make, because there's individual UIs and systems and combat for, like, every world and every OC. <laughs> uh, no, it's really great. I, I, I didn't really remember much of the story, but I do remember a lot of the gameplay and a lot of the, like, more memorable fights, and it's, oh, God, it was just so good. Yeah, I mean, it... I, I will argue, you know, this is the best Kingdom Hearts game. Like, even if Kingdom Hearts 3 visually looks so much better, like, there is a lot of lot of stuff that, like, the, the innovations in combat, just like the leap from Kingdom Hearts 1 to Kingdom Hearts 2 has not been matched. Um, for me, basically, in any franchise that, I, that I've consistently played, it, it is such a huge improvement. Um, and, you know, that's just technology and evolving programming skills and capacities, etc. But, um... One thing that you might criticize Kingdom Hearts 2 for um, is its choice in worlds. Now, it has some interesting, great new worlds, like uh, it, like Land of Dragons is very cool. Glad to see Mulan. Um, there was um, the Lion King one, Pride Lands. That's really fun to play as Sora, as just like a, a little lion. Uh, it's so fun to dash around the Pride Lands as a little lion. That kicks ass. However, there are two worlds that uh me and layla uh, are not what one world we uh, actively hate and one we're just like <laughs> why did you make this choice um let's let's talk about the hate one um how layla how do you feel about the uh live action spectacle pirates of the caribbean <laughs> yeah uh there's nothing god we have a screenshot please post it on our twitter we have a screenshot of pete the like giant what is he like a bulldog yeah you know the, the the disney one and he is standing next to uncanny fucking valley barbosa from pirates of the caribbean and it is visually nightmarish but then it also reeks of this Thing that happens in Kingdom Hearts a lot, which very highly depends on who's the Disney executive, which it should be us, Disney, hire us. Um, it highly depends on who the Disney executive is at the time as to, like, which properties you have to stick, like, super close to the script on. And for some reason, they were like, yeah, we're going to do Pirates of the Caribbean, but you have to rehash the whole fucking movie and you can't get any of it wrong. Good luck inserting your anime OCs in there. And unfortunately, as we know, Kingdom Hearts doesn't get better with this. It actually gets worse over time in the mainline games with this, like, not wanting to vary at all from the stories. Um, but, like, huh, yeah, the Pirates world is pretty bad. I mean, Johnny Depp sucks. We're all aware of that. But, like, 
uh, I- I'm torn between the fact that like uh, I think the pirates world is pretty boring, but also like it's very fun to have the um, gameplay mechanic of like having the the pirates like you know you have to maneuver them in the moonlight and they're like in- invulnerable when they're not in the moonlight, um, and then like you have to like use magic on them and 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 like do different sort of strategies. And just the fact that it is objectively very, very funny to see 2006-era CGI try to render a realistic-looking skeleton man. The skeleton men bothered me less than the flesh ones. Yeah, that's that's true. The flesh ones look so much worse. I hated the flesh ones. I mean, like, listen, we're not shitting on the artists. They did their fucking best. But, like, of course, the, of the art direction choice to even do this, the fucking narrative, look, it boggles the mind and the other thing about it that i think that annoyed me was that i think it's one of the longer worlds oh it's very long i mean even if you don't revisit it twice it still takes forever to go back and forth through port royale to the isle of tortuga to this other third island and like you know get through the fact that like oh wait no elizabeth swan is actually not elizabeth turner and you know we have to go back and get the actual dude's blood and it's a fucking pain in the ass oh god it is so much it's so 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 irritating um, and then the other one that's just kind of odd is, and carries, let's be clear, sometimes the worlds don't carry any narrative heft and you don't have to, like, really pay attention to what's happening in the Disney world. This one carries a staggering amount of narrative heft. It's fucking Tron. Yeah, you all know Tron, <laughs> right? Not the reboot, because the reboot hadn't come out at this time. No, the fucking 1982 movie Tron. Yeah, you know Tron? Tron's very important in this game. In fact, it has all of Ansem the Wise's fucking data from his original studies, and the boys need that shit. They can get to it in the funniest way possible, because Tron keeps referencing the DTD program, and it's like, well, I don't know what the DTD is, blah, 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 blah. And when our lads leave the computer... Tifa, who looks fantastic in this game, Tifa takes down a painting of uh, Xehanort as Ansem. And behind it, you could tell that it says DTD. And if you, like, take a second to read it, it says Tron Door to Darkness, which is maybe my favorite thing, aside from the fact that the password is the name of all seven Disney princesses of heart it's so stupid like uh the fact that tron has such narrative significance because like not only do they have to set up the fact that hearts can exist in data for kingdom hearts coded a game that we will not cover because it's so it's just the plot of kingdom hearts um but like also there's uh, at some point they Tron is able to take over the Hollow Bastion security mainframe or whatever, and he is able to visually change the look of the town, so that way it turns back into what it was after, uh, it, it, before it was Hollow Bastion, which is Radiant Garden. But like he's able to physically alter the the reality of that entire planet, which is just wild. Yeah, it's just fucking insane. And then also it. It did give us some of our favorite moments in this game, which is to say, watching Sora use a computer. 
Okay, the thing that should actually tick you off um, that Roxas and Sora are somehow related is that they both have the same response to computers. Uh, Sora, yeah, Sora notably, like, when he doesn't know, he types on the computer with two fingers, like chick, like a chicken does, like, and then when he doesn't do what he wants, he kicks it. Um, and Roxas, of course, takes his keyblade to a computer in the first half of the game, um, which I think is, is some nice characterization that neither of them know how computers work and they hate technology very much which is very funny because again part of the nomura unleashed experience of kingdom hearts is that uh, a lot of shit starts having to do with computers and like data and whatever it's it's truly it's truly something just just wild one thing that i think that kingdom hearts 2 really doubles down on is kingdom hearts is known as a franchise that really loves to talk about friendship and what it means to be someone's friend and Kingdom Hearts 2 does this in a pretty weird way, which is that it it sets up friendship as a promise that, you know, the two of you will meet again someday, and also emphasizes that the most important thing is how often that you two think about each other, and if you have those two things, that your friendship, that is the most important thing in a friendship, and... I understand why they say that. I understand why they're like, oh, for young people, the most important thing, like if you're not able to see your friends all the time, the most important thing is that you think about them and you keep them in your mind and, you know, you promise that, you know, friendship is forever. And also, that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess in in the sense where you are not a child anime protagonist in a video game that requires you to be dimensions away from your friends. I could see this message working in the sense that, like, thought inspires action, you know? Like, telling your friends that, oh, I'll keep thinking about you will inspire you to maybe call or write a letter or, I don't know, send a text or something. Um, But it is... Bizarre, and it's that thing. Like when when I mentioned Kyrie being kind of a weather vane for whether or not people remember Sora, which is just like a mechanic of these games. Like memory is very important. Um, that's her whole thing. Is that like, oh, well, do you remember Riku and also the other boy that we used to play with? And it is basically her thinking of him and making a promise that she will remember him and sending a message in a bottle is what brings Riku and Sora back from the darkness at the end of the game, right? So it's it's that I think I think that is the kind of working theory here is that thought inspires action. Um, and that thinking of somebody will help you remember them. But it is it is one of the more roundabout theses I think in in this franchise yeah I guess I'm not I'm not I'm the I'm not upset that they they do that but I do wish that they you know emphasized more that that it is the returning and the constant communication that that makes friendship um important and sustainable but like they do also do this thing where they constantly bring up the fact that like you know friendship um you know which you can alternately use as love in kingdom hearts because that's just sort of how it is like it is a thing that is complicated like you bring up the 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 example of when axel dies and he he does to to you know he sacrifices himself to save sora and he does it because he you know sora's like hey why did you do that and he's just like well 
I wanted to see Roxas one last time, and then, you know, he's like, it's funny, you make me feel the same way. Like, th- this game is trying to... I don't know what it's trying to do with that the idea that you are try- that you are somehow connected with, you know, the the nobody connection within yourself has somehow somehow has connection and, and resonates with others. You know, I don't think it really translates one to one with with the real world, but I I do feel like there is something to say about like seeing the people you love in other people and building friendships based on that. Um and maybe I'm just trying to read too hard into it this because the this is just a game that I love a lot, but I do feel like there's something interesting there. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit, um, but I do really love that scene with Sora and Axel because it, if Kingdom Hearts does this really well, and I never know if it does it intentionally in that moment. I think it's intentional sometimes, but I think it's just sometimes the nature of the narrative but it evokes this feeling of like false nostalgia almost where characters have feelings based on something that resonates with what they're doing in the moment but maybe isn't specifically the thing they're doing in the moment so like for Axel he uh resonates with the memory of Roxas within Sora and that gives him like a melancholic false nostalgia and that's what inspires him to sacrifice himself um and i think this series does that really really well generally speaking and again like it's hard to read into it because it's all kind of a delightful clusterfuck um but yeah i guess without without getting too deep into like my personal philosophy but i i feel like the thing i always loved about this game and kingdom hearts in general was this kind of the way it evoked the way that people are just nebulously connected um it's that you know that one sky one destiny thesis and i think it it's a little watered down in this one because it was just trying to get so much plot in um but i do still really like that sort of aura of melancholy that seems to bind all of the protagonists and to me like it it's so hard to parse right because there's so much going on but it's it's that thing of um i think i think this game wants you to 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 understand what it's like to miss something i think that's what i'm trying to get at and i think that the maybe it's like a like a uh, uh, localization thing but I think when we talk about the characters, um, that the, that the, the friendship is like a promise of, of seeing each other again and returning, I think, to me, what it's always trying to get at is that uh, if you are friends and you drift apart, that you have to miss each other in order to, like, sustain those feelings and then come back together eventually. That's a very long way to get there. But, like, that's what Kingdom Hearts makes my brain do. It has to go into eight different directions at once and then come right back in. That's that's the effect. And, I mean, I think that's that's the point. But, like, to your point of, you know, trying, trying to, you know, reconnect, right, I, I think there is no bigger example of what, you know, this series is trying to underscore as important as the moment when Sora and Riku are reunited. Um, you know, I it is 
a little funny the the the, the juxtaposition of how he reunites with Kyrie versus how he reunites with Riku. I mean, when when he meets Kyrie, he gives her a hug. Uh, when he realizes that Ansem Seeker of Darkness is actually Riku, he drops to his knees and begins to openly weep um, because he is so happy to see his his friend. And like, you know, we all read that as, you know, his his romantic partner. Um, but like, I do think it is an, it is nice that like, w- like arguably the, the series emotional climax you know is there where he's like this is the person i've been chasing after for over a year and i'm finally found you and i missed you so much like i think that is at its core what makes kingdom hearts great which is just like you know people just trying so hard to remain friends and keep those connections strong and that was the thing that makes axel so charming too right in the beginning because he he gives it a couple of attempts of like coming after roxas and he has that sort of air of melancholy about him every single time he comes and he's trying to make Roxas remember because he misses his friend. And I mean, also boyfriend in this case, because like we said, it's just it's so hard to everything is relative and it's so hard for you, for the narrative to say, hey, here's the delineation between what we want you to interpret as a romantic feelings versus what we want you to interpret as a close friendship when one character is extremely underdeveloped and the other one is like a fully realized creation so like i'm half joking when i call roxas axel's boyfriend but i'm also not joking because they're like if you just like sit down and take these cutscenes at their face value it's incredibly gay um and again the women had anything to do uh but uh uh yeah it's 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 so the way these kids chase each other around is so intense because that's their driving force is they're not trying to extinguish a great evil that's not really their main driver they're not trying to they don't have any like goal of any sort of profit right expansion monetary profit anything like that their key driver throughout the entire franchise is missing your friends and that's good shit it's so good uh i love king of hearts um shit (laughs) it's so great anyway uh let's rank the rest of the organization (laughs) okay so our organization 13 ranking from our chain of memories episode in number in the number one spot axel goodest boy in the number two spot larxene daddy's little nobody in the number three spot marluxia who with the pink hair number four spot lexius who was the big beefy one with the lego sword number five zexion who i believe is short blue hair he's kind of like the the bookish ice one he has a Um, book he has a book and then number six uh Vexen, who has been permanently erased from my memory. Um, he has a shield. That's about it. Right, that was Vexen. He, that's makes, why he makes clones, puppets, that's his whole thing. That's why he's last. That's right. So, uh, the new lads that we have to um, rank are Syx, Xemnas, Zigbar, Zaldin, Luxord, and Demix. Um, I think we should start with Demix. I think he's a solid number three or four. Just for I mean, I'd put him, I'd, I'd put him above Marluxia. I think I think Demix is better than Marluxia personality wise. 
That's fair. Yeah, I don't think he's quite as good as Larkseen, because I love Larkseen being just, like, a really catty, just, like, (laughs) uh, lady who will just fuck everyone up. Yeah, uh, Larkseen is pretty fucking incredible. Um, Yeah, so Axel, Larkseen, Demix next. Uh, Who do you want to, who do you want to rank next? Um, let's see. I guess Zigbar, he's, he's got the next most personality, I feel like. Um... I mean, those Chain of Memory ones, a lot of those are them are really down there because they get virtually no characterization that appealed to me. I'd put, I'd put, I'd put Zilgbar b- above Marluxia, but I'm willing to fight. I mean, I'm willing to debate that. <laughs> willing to fight for Zigbar's honor. Um, that's a really tough one. They're really close for me. Um, I really don't want Marluxia to split too far down, but I think I would be okay with putting Zigbar above just for sheer entertainment value. Here's the um, thing. I don't think Marluxia is going to go that much further down. <laughs> that's incredibly fucking true. Can we just go ahead and put Zaldan at the bottom? Yeah, no. We Fuck off, Zaldan. Zaldan sucks ass. Um, so next week, we just have uh, Saix, Xemnas, and Luxord left. Um, I feel like Luxord could go right beneath Marluxia. Yeah, I think he's got just enough personality. Like, his whole thing is that he's, like, a gambler in, like, a super corny way. Um, but, like, I like him well enough. He does look like he came right off of a poker tournament to be, to be in the He just needs those fucking Oakleys, and he'd, look, he'd fit in anywhere. That's incredibly true. Uh, Saix and Xemnas get some of the most exposure in this game. Saix, again, to remind you, kidnapped Kyrie, kind of a douche, made Sora beg. Uh, Zemnus, leader of the organization. Where are these lads going? Here's the thing. Saix's characterization is at least interesting, um, which I think puts him already above Lexeus. Um, I might, I don't know. I don't think I'll put him above Luxord because I think he's unpleasant, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, points deducted for making a boy big. Yeah. And Zemnus, uh, I just wish he was more interesting. <laughs> I know he is. I'm not gonna lie to you. I feel like he should go below Marluxia. I think so too. I think, I mean, just on aesthetics alone, Marluxia's got him beat. Like, I love the lightsabers. Don't get me wrong, but like, uh, I don't. Zemnis is just kind of like, yeah. Anyway, Kingdom Hearts. I did all this work, and now I'm going to shoot lasers at a boy. <laughs> Zemnis would have a better time at a uh like spoken word poetry contest (laughs) he has that vibe like i was sitting there reckoning with aaron i was like oh god do i think zemnis is hotter than ansem and like my initial judgment was i think zemnis is hotter than ansem but honestly i'm back on teen ansem because i heard zemnis talk for too long He has this, like, he can never talk with his arms by his sides like a normal person or, like, near his shoulders like a normal person where people usually gesture. He's always talking with these lofty aspirations and his arms raised like he's at a megachurch. And it's just so... Like, at first it was kind of hot melodrama and I was really into it, but then, like, three sentences in, I was like, buddy, pal, stop. I used to really love the part where he's, like, in the broken Kingdom Hearts, like, you know, giving his final speech before he merges with it. But then, like, on this watch, I was just, like, hearts quivering with anger. <laughs> uh, hearts 
destroyed by remorse. She's like, shut the fuck up, dude. We get it. Like, come on. Let's just get to the fucking blue eyes white robot dragon. Oh, yeah, which was sick. Um, great, great final boss fight. Not a very good, not a very compelling villain, unfortunately. God, the more we talk about him, the more I kind of want to move him beneath Luxord. <laughs> he doesn't have Luxord has more personality. It's just Luxord always talks about gambling and cars and like you know betting, betting everything on one final round. And Zemnis is just like, anyway. So, can I tell you about Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> just oh like, my god. I have something that you might be very interested in. Come on down to my church this Sunday and we will praise Kingdom Hearts together. He does talk about being eternal a lot. (laughs) Surely we nothings must also live eternally, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, worst yeah, he he could be a pastor of, of, of a very boring church. Um, so that is, so Roxas is not on this list. I'm okay with not ranking him among the these guys because he's the goodest boy. Um, the fourteenth member is also not on this list. Not yet because we haven't met her. That's true, but um, um, there is a she's going to be up member. there. Yeah, absolutely, she's incredible. <laughs> Um, there is a 14th member of Organization 13, which does piss me off, um, but it is okay. <laughs> we cope. Um, we will meet her in the next game, um, or if we do 358 by 2. It depends. I think we're going to do Birth by Sleep first and then yes. 358. Yes. So we're going to meet her in two podcasts, uh, Kingdom Hearts podcast, like two months. Um, but yes, there's one more, but otherwise, here's the ranking in order, uh, from top to bottom, Axel, Larxene, Demix, Sigbar, Marluxia, Luxord, Zemnis, Saix, Lexus, Zexion, Fexen, and Sultan. I can't <laughs> believe I did that in the first fucking take. Incredible, incredible pronunciation. <laughs> you got all those X's and Y's perfectly. The X's are important. Um, yeah, so those are, um, those are the organization... 12 of the organization, 13 members. There are 14 members. We are not ranking one. We are ranking another one that we have not met yet. <sighs> Aaron, it's time. It's time to have a really serious conversation, I think, you and I. Um, so I alluded earlier that these games came out at a time where you would just walk into Best Buy or GameStop and there would just be games that you didn't know were coming out and they were just kind of there. I had that experience with the dot .hack games. Every couple of years, I would just be like, hey, a new one. Um, I had that experience with the Kingdom Hearts games, with the Xenosaga games, pretty much any, like, 2000s JRPG I was into. I never knew when it was coming out. You found the original English Kingdom Hearts 2 commercial in glorious 240p. It looks like ass. (laughs) And it has the added benefit of being completely fucking inscrutable like i saw a lot of comments on youtube being like oh man i wish the days where video games would actually show their gameplay and then you just see this and it's just like hercules flying around on a pegasus and also there's a man jumping off a skyscraper and he's got two laser swords and and it's like anyway this is what kingdom hearts is like no i if i saw that i would just my head would just explode (laughs) and also chicken little is there also, Chicken Little's just hanging out. Chicken sure. Little, the inexplicable summon in this game. So, uh, it is time for our first recurring segment on this show, which is the unnamed Mortified Marketing Corner. 
you will remember this from our last episode where we um it was apparently good enough to make ubisoft produce an avatar video game so this is our this is our power play everyone oh yeah Uh, you're you're welcome welcome for that (laughs) we're absolutely responsible for that that has not been years in development at all we said it they made it happen overnight Mm -hmm. um that's just how the game industry works by the way Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so aaron how would you market kingdom hearts 2 Okay, gosh, let's... Well, I guess first, let's... let's. Are we marketing it in 2021 or in 2006? That's an excellent question, right? Um, let's... Let's market it in 2006 because we, were, we both remember how it was and how we didn't get it marketed to us. Yes, so... How would it have elim- Kingdom Hearts 2 reached me in the year 2006? Let's eliminate <laughs> the obvious, right? So, like, yes, obviously, GameStop standees. Yes, obviously inscrutable tv spots we got to get the old fans just to know it's coming out they don't have to know what's going on they just have to know it's coming um but then we have to really get into the niche shit so where where did you hang out on the internet in 2006 i hung out on the internet in 2006 on naruto forum roleplay.com <laughs> um X. so um, one interesting way, I, I really like the concept of ARGs. I don't know how good they are at actually advertising, but I do think it would be very interesting uh, to get people to sell Kingdom Hearts 2 to me specifically is for the marketers at Square Enix to create Naruto slash Kingdom Hearts OCs and roleplay them in that specific forum and interact with my OC um, and that would be a great way for me to <laughs> have Kingdom Hearts 2 marketed it to me. But I think that's a little, that's a little targeted. <laughs> that's a little targeted, and I think you're going to run into some copyright problems there. I think so. There's a lot of, a lot of patents, um, that are Here's, not in play. However. However. Another place that I think I was briefly on was MySpace. <laughs> and I think there's a lot we can play with there. <laughs> Oh my god, MySpace's whole thing was having friends. How, what if Tom's top eight was just like a ranking of eight organization 13 members? <gasps> yes, oh my god. They, yeah, like for one week, you know, all of the, you know, my sk- MySpace gets a reskin and Tom's favorite people are like Zemnis and also Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and then like, you could even do it where your top eight has somebody randomly replaced with their name but like an x in it yeah and their profile is like a black hood and then like if you click on that it'll take you to something where it plays like kingdom hearts music on their page and i think for the roleplay communities what would be great is if they made a uh, a name generator where you're nobody name generator and just dropped it and then you could make your little nobody name and maybe there will even be like a flash dress-up game where you could make your ridiculous OC with their cool scars and eye patches. Oh my god, that'd be so good. (laughs) Which could be hosted on, wait for it, the Disney website, which is in 2006, in the height of Flash games. I would have killed for a Kingdom Hearts Flash game. That would have kicked ass at the time. Or, alternatively, Sora popping into the other Flash games. Yeah, no, if Sora had rolled on to AddictingGames.com, I would have been there. I've been like, hell yeah, I know this guy. 
Well, there was, so the, the ones I remember the most are, like, Kim Possible has, like, a Nako stacker flash game where you just, like, it's, it's literally just, like, things dropping from the sky. You have to get the high stack you can. Sora popping in there to help that little naked mole rat. That would have been dope as hell. There was a Cadet Kelly dress-up game. Would have loved to see Cadet Kelly in an Organization 13. The fucking trench coat would have been great. Oh, um, uh, yes, of course. There were a bunch of other, like, really, really great ones on the Disney website. I would have fucking, Sora just, like, popping into those would have kicked ass. Oh my god. Disney, this is why you need to hire us. Obviously, these are great ideas. We're truly uh, over here at Mar- Mortify Marketing Solutions. I'm just going to keep popping down random names until one sticks. Um, but here at uh, Mortify Marketing Associates, <laughs> um, we are uh, experts in our field of just very, very highly specific marketing that would get you the exact fucking audience that you goddamn need. Oh, truly. Um, if you need, yeah, we'll, we're contracting out at very affordable rates. And by very affordable, I mean starting at $3 million. But I'm sure you can make it work, Disney. Yeah. Uh, come on, Disney. <laughs> oh, God. Layla, <laughs> when we're not creating elaborate yet highly effective ways to sell things to corporations, um, <laughs> where can people find us on the internet? So I'm at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, I am currently in the throes of production. I'm very busy, but um, I will be reviving my webcomic soon, which is going to be very fun. And I write essays. Um, I don't know what I'm writing about this month. I'll figure it out. Aaron, where can people find you? You can find me on the internet at AaronSXL. You can listen to the other podcast I do at The Bible Boys. We just released an episode about the 2000 uh, edition of The Eyes of Tammy Faye which was very fun. Uh, if you've you know, been paying attention to various evangelical circles, you'll know that the 2021 version of The Eyes of Tammy Faye is coming out in September, and I'm sure we'll cover that then. Um, you, listeners, you might have noted that the opening of this podcast was a cover of Dearly Beloved played on the accordion by our very own Layla. Uh, it's incredible, and I'm so, so psyched uh, for everyone to hear it. Uh, please at her and give her a round of applause because we took a pause in watching these cutscenes and I just watched Layla work this out for 10 minutes and it was absolutely worth it. <laughs> we literally just like... <laughs> I think I just, all I said was I have the music for, sheet music for Dearly Beloved and Aaron was like, could you play it on your accordion? And I was like, actually, <laughs> I think I can. And I did. Um, uh... But usually our theme music is... Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, what do we say to close it out? Aaron, you won't disappear. I'll disappear? <laughs> Great. I can't believe we didn't even talk about Goofy dying. <laughs>